Greetings, Church. Uh, before we go to the Word of God, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you this evening for bringing us back again here at Church. Lord, we want to hear from you, and may you speak to your people this evening. And I pray, Lord, may you use me as a vessel to speak to your people, and I pray that whatever you want to communicate this evening will be given to them with gratitude. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, as we continue in the series of Galatians chapter 5 of the fruit of the Spirit, today we are going to read from the same passage, just two verses, Galatians chapter 5, Verse 23 and 24. But I'm also going to read Ephesians chapter uh, 5, verse 1 to 3. But first, uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. <clears throat> but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And again, Ephesians should be Ephesians chapter 4 rather. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 to 3. I therefore, a prisoner to the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This evening we are going to be looking at one of the fruit of the Spirit, which is patience. Actually, when I, was, I knew that I was going to be preaching from this fruit, patience, I noticed that um, I'm not good at it. And uh, I bet if you would agree with me, if patience was one of the Ten Commandments, probably this could have been one of the most broken of the Ten Commandments. In, if not the most broken commandments of the Ten Commandments, if God would just say, thou shalt be patient, I think all of us would be breaking this commandment almost every day. Patience is one of the most fitting topics for us because we are a generation that is too impatient in doing a lot of things. Many times we are not uh, patient enough. We are a generation that's too quick in doing almost everything, too quick to speak, too quick to react, too quick to pass judgment, and most of the time, even too quick to get angry. And because of this lack of impatience, many of us, if not all of us, have something that we did in the past, that still haunt us today. 
there are things that we regret because we reacted out of lack of patience. Would you think of a moment in your life when you did something like that, when you did something out of impatience, or you said some words, or took an action, or reacted to a circumstance out of impatience, that you now regret because you acted out of impatience with someone, or you acted out of impatience with, uh, to something. And if you are here, and you know that you have acted out of impatience at some point, and you regret, I want to assure you, you are not alone. There are a lot of people today, many Christians even, who are regretting because of some, something that they did in the past out of impatience, and they are now regretting. However, there is good news because God is always there. When we feel impatient, he's always there to control us. Most of the times, we fail to control ourselves. But maybe you might also be here and you are saying, I don't think patience is one of my problems. You might be thinking that maybe you are good at being patient with people, being good at circumstances that demands you to be patient. But I want to give you a scenario that will prove you wrong. Imagine you are driving uh, on the road on a very important trip, and as you, are, as you are driving, you are running late, and with all this construction going on in Michigan, you happen to end up into a construction site such that you have to reduce your speed and you have to drive probably at two miles per hour or three miles per hour or five miles per hour really slowly and you are running late already. That's when you know that impatience is one of your problems. That feeling that you feel when you are stuck on a traffic jam, that feeling, that should tell you that you need to work more on patience. However, in our passage this evening, we are not going to focus much on being patient with circumstances like those, but rather, I want us to look at patience with people. How patience is important with people, because that is the kind of patience that we need. That is the kind of patience that has everything to do with our sanctification. In fact, if I would rename my sermon, I would say our desperate need for patience in our sanctification. Our desperate need of sanctification, uh, our desperate need of patience in sanctification. And Apostle Paul has put it, uh, patience as one of the fruit of the Spirit. Therefore, as we are looking at this passage we have just read in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, I want us to focus on three points. One, patience as an attribute of God. Because Paul has given us patience as the fruit of the Spirit. So let us look at patience as an attribute of God. And secondly, we are going to look at patience, uh, God's patience with us. And lastly, our patience towards others. 
Patience as an attribute of God, God's patience with us, and our patience towards others. To begin with patience as an attribute of God, I try to look for some definitions of how can patience be properly defined. And according to Webster's College Dictionary, patience is bearing pains or trials calmly without complaint. And secondly, he says, patience means manifesting forbearance under provocation or strain. And thirdly, he says, patience is being steadfast despite opposition, difficulty, or adversity. And when I looked at all those definitions, that's when I realized I'm not qualified as a patient person. And probably, if you are to weigh yourselves, if we are to weigh ourselves by these definitions of patience, we will realize that our, uh, we are not good at being patient at all. But let us see how this patience is manifested in God. Because it is the attribute of God. Apostle Paul says patience is the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, we can say, being the fruit of the Holy Spirit, patience is one of the attributes of God. And in several passages of the scriptures, it is said about God that he is the God of patience and long-suffering. In Psalm chapter 86, verse 15, the psalmist says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And one author, Jonathan Cruz, says patience is who God is. He says patience is who God is. And he actually gets that from Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, when God spoke to Moses about his character or about himself, saying, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. In order to understand the patience of God and why he declares himself in this passage of Exodus as the God full of patience and steadfast love, let us see just one example in the Old Testament where God showed his patience at the fullest of its extent. There are many examples which we can give to justify God's patience, but let's just take the example of the children of Israel. In Exodus chapter 19, after God has taken the children of Israel out of the land of slavery from Egypt, he brings them uh, into the wilderness as he's taking them to the promised land. And at some point, if you read chapters 16 and 17, you are going to see how difficult these children of Israel had become. But in chapter 19, God is calling Moses and is making a covenant with the children of Israel. He says, go and talk to the children of Israel. I want to make a covenant with you. They shall be my people and I shall be your God. You saw how I carried you out of the land of Egypt. I brought you into this land on, as on eagle's wings, meaning you have, done, you have done nothing. I've just brought you as unto the eagle's wings. And Moses says, I'm going to tell the Israelites, and they should respond. And when he told the Israelites, they responded in, Genesis, uh, in Exodus chapter 
20 and 19 verse 8, where they says, All that the Lord has said, we shall do, and we shall obey. We shall obey, because God says, I want to make a covenant with you, and I want you to be obedient, because I am your God, and you are my people. And they say, all that the Lord has said, we shall do. And in Exodus chapter 20, God is giving them the Ten Commandments. After giving them the Ten Commandments in the Exodus chapter 20, in Exodus chapter 24, this covenant is being confirmed. Exodus chapter 24, verse 7, the same statement has been repeated, and the children of Israel says, all that the Lord has said, we shall do, and we shall obey. And in Exodus chapter 32, the opposite happens. As Moses is on Mount Sinai to take the Ten Commandments, he's coming down, and the children of Israel have already developed impatience, and they say, we don't know what has happened to Moses on the mountain. Let us make our something that we can be worshiping. Remember on the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, the very first one was, Thou shalt have no other gods, no idol worship. But as Moses is at the mountain to take the Ten Commandments, these children of Israel have already started rebelling against God. They have made a molded calf, a golden calf. And as Moses is coming down of the mountain, he sees these children of Israel worshiping an idol. And he gets angry, he gets impatient, and he throws all the Ten Commandments down, he breaks them. He's losing it. The children of Israel are impatient waiting for Moses. Moses is coming down of the mountain, he sees them worshiping an idol, he, runs, uh, he becomes impatient as well. And as a result of their impatience, of the impatience of the children of Israel, they have made a calf. They have made an idol they are worshiping. Moses, with impatience, he breaks the Ten Commandments. I remember last time when we were doing the, one of the classes, one of the elders said, Moses is the greatest commandment breaker because he broke all the Ten Commandments by just smashing them down. He broke all of them at once. The very first lawbreaker was Moses himself. He broke all the Ten Commandments, all of them at once. Well, but he runs impatient, and then he goes, and of course he destroys the thing. That's chapter 32. Chapter 33, Moses is interceding for the children of Israel, and this God, who could, have, who could be just to just wipe out all the children of Israel, instead of wiping them away, instead of wiping them out, he listens to the intercession of Moses, and he forgives them. There are two things that we should look into this patience of God, according to chapter 34. Because in chapter 34, God, instead of punishing them, instead of destroying the children of Israel for what they have done, he's actually renewing this covenant. In chapter 33, Moses intercedes. In chapter 34, God is renewing this covenant. Two things that we should look into that. One, the heinousness of the sin that the children of Israel had done. They substituted God with this idol 
It is more like telling God, you know what, God, we can worship you, but in your absence, we can also worship this thing. After all, you are the same. It's more like putting God there and putting this idol there and say, we can worship you, God, but we can also worship this thing, you are the same. It was blasphemous. You are not worshiping God and worship this idol. It's more like you are putting them on an equal standard. This idol is just as good as you, Lord, so we can worship both of you. It was blasphemy. God was angry. He was provoked. But secondly, we should also see the heinousness of this sin based on the covenant that God had developed with the children of Israel. In Jeremiah chapter 3, uh, chapter 3 verse 14, it says, Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion, for I am a husband unto you. In other versions, it says, for I am my husband unto you. In other versions, it says, I am married unto you. In ESV, it says, for I am your master. So the covenant that God has with these people, it's a covenant as a marriage covenant. And these people are abandoning God and go and start worshiping this idol. In other words, what they did here is adulterous. They had broken the covenant the same way one would break the covenant of marriage. The point is, Israel is betrothed to God, and this idol worship is actually adulterous before a holy God, the one to whom they are betrothed. As it says in Hosea chapter 1 verse 2, God told Hosea that Israel had committed whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So what Israel did here is actually committing adultery. They substituted God with an idol. They worshipped a golden calf. And what would we expect from a holy God like this to be substituted with an idol? Certainly, we would think that God is going to destroy them. But instead of destroying them and, or disowning them, he instead renewed these vows with Israel in chapter 34 of Exodus chapter 6, where he says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He has, he has forgiven them. He has established the, uh, the, the, the covenant. If we are to illustrate this, it would be like having an unfaithful partner who has committed adultery, but instead of initiating divorce, they choose to continue living with their partner as a family, and that's exactly what God did. The worst part is that for Israel, this was not the first time or the last time, because they continued departing from the presence of the Lord many times, and yet God was always ready to receive them back whenever repentance was done. Arthur W. Pink says about the patience of God that it is the excellence which causes him to sustain great injuries without immediately avenging himself. He has the power 
of patience as well as the power of justice. So the fact that God does not revenge on the wickedness of humanity, the reason that God did not revenge on the wickedness of the children of Israel is not because God doesn't mind their wickedness. It's because he's patient with them. And let us see how God's patience with us applies. We have just seen that patience is an attribute of God. But let us see God's patience with us. Having seen God's dealings with the children of Israel, we should certainly consider ourselves to be beneficiaries of God's patience as well. Because we are not different from them. Because God is just as gracious with us as he was with them. And I mean, how many times have we failed God? How many times have we departed from the Lord in the sinful ways of our lives? Many times. And God has always been patient with us. And whenever we come to him in repentance, God is always ready to accept us back. We may most of the times commit sins, not accidentally, but fully aware that what we are doing is sinful, it's wicked, it's hatred before God, but we go ahead and do them anyway. And when we do them, we come back to God and he's always ready to receive us back. That's how patient God is with us. We do not commit sins out of ignorance. We commit sins deliberately, knowing those things that we are doing are sin. But God, in his patience, is still forgiving us. It's heartbreaking. Sometimes we should always be grateful that God is not like us. And listen how to, to how David has put in Psalm 103, verse 8. And by the way, Psalm 103, verse 8, David is also quoting the same, psalm, uh, the same passage in Exodus. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. So if I were to ask you a question this evening, what would become of you if God had not extended his patience on you? What would have become of you if God had not extended his gracious uh, patience on you? Or if God treated you as your sins deserve? What would become of you if God was to repay you according to the sinfulness of your sins, according to your iniquities. Because David here says, God does not repay us according to our iniquities. But what would have become of you if God was to repay you for the iniquities that you commit before God each and every day? I'm sure you'd be long gone by now. But God has been so patient with you 
This reminds me of the story in, uh, in the book of Luke chapter 13 about the parable of the fig tree. In Luke chapter 13, there is this fruitless tree. Let's not forget that we are looking at the fruit of patience. And in, uh, in Luke chapter 13, there is this fruitless tree of which the owner of the garden is ready to cut it down because it's not producing any fruit for three years. And the vine dresser says, let it live one more year. Because the owner of the garden says, I've come on this tree for three years. The first year, no fruit. Second year, no fruit. Third year, no fruit. And says, cut it down. And the vine dresser says, let it live a bit longer. And this time, he says, let it live a little bit longer. He says, I'm going to add some manure to it, just so it can produce fruit. Of course, this is a story about God's patience on the fruitless Israel, because that story was told about Israel. But we can also notice in this story about the patience of the master of the garden. He waited patiently for some fruit for a very long time. And as he continued waiting, more grace was given to this fruitless tree, as the vine dresser was committed to add some manure to this fig tree so it could bear fruit. What is the point here? Well, the point is, the master of the garden is still working on his garden as he continues waiting patiently for, this, for some fruit, even on, from his children. We most of the times fail to produce fruit, but God is always patient with us, adding some manure, adding everything necessary just so we can produce some fruit at some point. That's what the process of sanctification is all about. And that's why I say it's about the desperate need of patience in our sanctification process. Because God is the one working in us, making sure that we should produce some fruit. And he's waiting patiently as he gives us more grace, more grace, more grace, just so that at some point we should be able to bear fruit. So the master of the garden is still working on his garden as he continues waiting patiently for some fruit. And this is why he continuously wake, is continuously working in us, tirelessly sanctifying us day by day, until we start showing some fruit worthy of our calling as believers. And even as when we start producing the fruit of the Spirit, it should not be considered that it is us producing that fruit because we are naturally incapable, incapable of producing this fruit. Because the natural setting or the default setting of our hearts is not a, a fruit-producing setting. Our hearts are by nature barren from any possibility to produce any spiritual fruit, so much that whenever we produce the fruit, it is the Holy Spirit who is working in us, who is producing those fruits from our hearts. It is not natural for us to produce that fruit. It is because the Holy Spirit is continuously working in our hearts. As it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, it is God who works in us both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. And so when we start producing this fruit, 
It is because the Holy Spirit is the one working in our lives. And that is why also most of the times our impatient characters still pops up once in a while because that's our normal nature, that's our nature, that's our tendency. Even though the Holy Spirit is working in us, but once in a while this character of impatience still comes up. And indeed this process of sanctification will continue until the day when Christ himself will present us holy and blameless and above reproach before God, according to Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. So he's patient with us as he's working in our lives. What about God's patience towards those who are not yet in Christ, those who are still outside of Christ? Well, God's patience is manifested not only towards those who are in Christ, but even those who are not believers yet. And if you are one of those people who are not yet believers, and yet you are here, listen to what the word of God says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward, patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should, repent, should reach repentance. So assuming that you are here, maybe you are 15 years or 20 years, 50 years, it means for that long, God has waited for you. God has waited for you for all those years that you have to this day, patiently waiting that you should come to know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. So he's not being sluggish in acting. He's just being patient with you just so you can hear his word and come to Christ. God's patience is amazing. And it is this patience, uh, this patience was manifested to its full extent on the cross. God's patience was manifested to its full extent on the cross. After he was falsely accused, Christ was mocked and crucified. And yet, the Bible tells us he never retaliated. To the contrary, he prays for them, saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And he carried on his work of, uh, of dying for the ungodly all the way to the end. Because God is always patient, even in those circumstances in which his wrath is justly deserved. And so what does this mean to us? What does this mean to us? Well, that, that takes us to our last point this uh, evening. Having seen that patience is the attribute of God and that God is patient with us, last year we should see how this should be acted from our side, our patience towards others. That's why I read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. God's patience with us should, reflect, should be reflected in our patience towards others. Brethren, we are living in the period of time where this fruit of the Spirit, patience, is of utmost importance. And by the way, patience is mostly required where there is uncomfortability. You don't need patience where everything is okay. You need patience where there is an uncomfortable feeling. 
For example, if you are partying somewhere, you are, doing, you are having a party, and maybe your wife or husband or your friend says, I'm, I'm coming to fetch you so we can go home. You don't have to wait for them patiently because you're having fun. So it doesn't matter whether they show up after an hour or two hours. To you, it's okay. You don't have to wait patiently. But assuming that you are walking on foot and on the way, it starts raining and there's no shelter. At that moment, you take a shelter maybe under a tree and you call someone to come and fetch you. You'll be wait patiently waiting because you are under those circumstances that are not pleasant. The rain is pouring on you. You are feeling uncomfortable. You just want to go home. In those moments, you will be waiting patiently for the person who is coming to get you. Patience is mostly acted in those circumstances where there is uncomfortability. So, us as believers today, we are in this world where sin is everywhere. We are between this we are, we are between these two dimensions of history, between the already and the not yet. And it is this period of time in which we need to be more patient. Because as believers, we have been called to live in such a moment where we need to exercise our patience to the fullest. Because we are living in the two halves of Christian history, between the already and the not yet. Already Christ has come, already he has paid for our debt of sin, and already has the word, the word of God and the Holy Spirit been given to us. But not yet has the, word been restored, has the word been restored, not yet has our sin been completely eliminated from our nature, and not yet, not yet has the final kingdom come. And because of this sinful world in which we are living, every Christian is fighting against some weaknesses of their own. John Owen says, it is our duty as Christians to be perfecting holiness in the fear of God, to be growing in grace every day, so that our inner nature should be renewed day by day. And this cannot be accomplished without the daily modification of sin. Therefore, we need to be patient with each other as believers, knowing that in each one of us there is the work of Holy Spirit going on. In fact, some of us, as we are being patient with other people, we should also know that others are being patient with us because it is the Holy Spirit working in all of us. And probably they are even praying for us that we should live the kind of life that we profess as Christians because we are all a work in progress. However, we are, I'm not intending to say that we can do whatever we want because we are a work in progress. Because on that statement that we are a work in progress, the key word there is progress. Meaning, if the Holy Spirit is working in you, you should show progress. And if there is no progress in your life, it means the Holy Spirit is not even working at you. Because God cannot work in your heart for 10 years and there is no progress happening. So we are all the work in progress, but let's show some fruit. Let's show that God is really working in us by showing some fruit. It might not be a bumper fruit, but at least some fruit should be 
recognized on you as a believer because God is the one working in you. So let us be patient with each other as the Holy Spirit is working in our lives. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, Apostle Paul says, as he addresses the church of Ephesus, that they should, they should with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bear with one another in love. Patience is essential among believers in the body of Christ. And in this epistle, Apostle Paul communicated to believers about the need for patience. This is a sign that we are, are we as Christians, we do not become Christians and at the same time become like Christ instantly. We only become like Christ by and by as the Holy Spirit continues working in our lives. Again, Jonathan Cruz says, in response to the weaknesses of others, we are to display loving tolerance. This virtue is essential for the church as she faces issues that tend to polarize and divide her members. Brethren, as people, all of us who are believing in Christ, we need to be patient with each other, praying for each other. It was God is working in our lives, all of us. No one has become like Christ fully yet. We might differ in our sanctification process. Others are more sanctified than others. Others are still struggling with some issues that others do not even consider them as issues because their sanctification process has perfected them to some extent than others. And so as we are waiting for the fruit to be recognized in the hearts, in the lives of other people, in the lives of other fellow believers, let us be patient, praying for them, that at some point, even themselves, they shall bear fruit. Therefore, just as God is patient with us, so we need to be patient with our fellow believers. There are times when their weaknesses are going to manifest, probably by stepping on our feet, but let us not react in haste. Rather, let us be patient and pray for each other, as God is working in each one of us, sanctifying us, making us more like Jesus, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Be you patient as God is patient. Let us pray. Gracious Father, Lord, we thank you because of what you have spoken to us this evening. We are not good at being patient with each other, but we pray, Lord, that may you teach us to be patient, even as we are waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us that we might be patient, patiently waiting for the coming of the Messiah, and that as he comes, we shall rejoice to join him in that place where he promised that he has gone to prepare for us. And so we pray, Lord, may you prepare our hearts that we may, we may be patient with each other as you are patient with us. Lord, this we pray, trusting in the name of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior. And in his name we pray. Amen.